Good morning, church. All right, so we are going to be in that passage we just read today, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. We're just going to jump right in for time's sake. Um, one, a couple things i got to say real quick, though, for about the passage. Um, we're going to be talking about something today that may be controversial for a lot of us. Um, we, we see it in the text. It's here, and I know some people in here might be upset about it, might want to email me, and I am totally fine with that on one condition. You listen to everything I say. Um, if you listen to everything I say, let's engage in a dialogue. But if, you're, if you hear things you don't like, and then you um, start immediately thinking about why it's wrong, and you start going through your Bible trying to prove it wrong, um, and you miss what I'm saying, uh, then there's really no reason for us to dialogue because you didn't actually hear me. And so you will be assuming things I said instead of actually talking about what I said, okay? Um, and, and the second thing is, is really this is the joy of preaching verse by verse through books of the Bible is I don't get to skip this stuff. Um, and I really mean joy because it's good. All of Scripture is God-breathed. It's all inspired by God. It's for our good in His glory. And so as we dig into passages that may seem tough, that may um, seem um, counter what we believe, that's a good thing. If, if scripture never challenges you and never pushes your beliefs, um, that's not good. And so we want to let scripture challenge us, push back. We still have flesh. We still have um, areas in our lives that we've, we've made idols in. We still have areas of life that we have not surrendered to God. So we need to let scripture press on, press on those things for our good. Um, okay, I think that's all I wanted to say about that before we jump in. I know that may all seem tough, um, but I, I want to engage in this topic. Um, but I want us to actually engage on the text. Now, you may not even realize why this would be controversial and why this topic, why this passage um, would be something strange for our culture, but you'll see as we dig into it and as we understand the culture that um, Paul is a part of and Paul is writing to. But it's not so much different than ours. There's so much conflict in our world today. We have wars across the globe. We have terrorism. Um, and even in our cities, we have strife, right? So we've got um, things like Mitchell and Mount Heritage, right? Like we have strife even on our own. And, and we have, you know, high school. And I'm not even kidding. Like some dude just punched a ref a few weeks ago at a high school basketball game. So like this isn't something that was foreign to us. Like we see in our current place that there is so much conflict, rich and poor, left-wing, right-wing, black, and white. There is so much conflict in our culture, in our world. And, and, and that begs the question, could there ever be peace? Can our communities find peace? Can our world find peace? Can we have peace in our lives? And the great, glorious answer is yes. Yes, we can. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to dive into the text. We're going to go... Uh, through the text verse by verse, and we're going to look at its actual context, and then we're going to discuss how that can and should be applied to us today. So that's our outline, so let's dive in. So it says, starts off in verse 11, therefore remember. Okay, so right there, we got to stop, because it's been, it's been a whole week since we talked last, and that therefore word is, is made to, for us to look back on what we just heard. 
So therefore, because of the great, glorious grace that God has given you, because you have been brought from death to life, that's why Paul's saying this stuff that comes next. Therefore, because of God's grace, because he loves you, because he's adopted you, because he has elected you, because that you've been made from death to life, remember. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the circumcision by what is called the, I'm, I'm sorry, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So Paul's telling the church in Ephesus to remember what they once were. Some of us don't want to look backwards and remember what we were. We don't want to look on the past. We don't want to dwell on what, what, what we were before Christ. But Paul is asking, um, and by asking, I mean telling the church in Ephesus, remember who you once were. It is a great thing to look at your future and who you are now, and we should do that. In fact, I would contend most of us don't look at our present reality correctly. We, we, we look back on the past well, and we look in the future, and we hope for things, but we, we kind of don't let the gospel apply to us now. But Paul in this text is saying, remember who you were. Look, look backward, remember that you are called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. Now that can make some of us feel a little uncomfortable because we know what those words mean, and that's kind of a private thing. But back in, uh, back in this culture... Circumcision was an outward expression of who you were uh, and what tribe you were a part of, what people group you were a part of. And so um, all the way back to the promise of God to Abraham, that he would create Abraham and his family into a nation, and the sign of that covenant was circumcision. It was, a, it was something made by flesh, and so we know now that we no longer have, our, our, the sign of us being God's family is no longer circumcision of the flesh, but circumcision of the heart, that God has changed our heart. And we can't see that. Back then they could see that, um, if someone wanted you to see that, they could see that and know where you belonged. But now it's something on the inside. But he says, remember who you were. You were the uncircumcised. You were not a part of the family of God, of the covenant of God. You were separated from Christ. A verse, uh, verse 12, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Gentiles, Gentiles basically, real quick, just means not Jewish, not of Israel, right? So it's just, it's not a particular nation or race, it's every other nation and race besides Jew, right? And so that's what a Gentile is. And so Gentiles had, what did Paul say? No hope and without God in the world. And then he uses this amazing word he used in verse 4. Remember verse 4? We read it this morning. But God being rich in mercy, right? That's what we read in verse 4. Well, in verse 13, he says something again. But now. You have no hope. You, you had no hope. You were without Christ in the world. But now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, hold on a second. We have to understand this. Um, Jewish people and Gentiles didn't have the best of relationships, okay? Um, you can read things about this. Uh, Jewish people believed that the flames of hell were fueled by Gentiles. That's pretty strong, right? You would thank God that you were not born one of them, um, you would 
uh, in fact, so even in the, so we think about this dividing wall of hostility, even in the courts, they, they built this temple, and over time this temple began to have, they had the outer courts and the inner courts, and then the in outer courts were separated even further, and so you had the outer, outer courts, you had kind of like the, like kind of outer courts, and the outer courts before you got in the inner courts, and so this is how it was divided. The very outer courts were for Gentiles. Past that, there was a wall. Past that was for Jewish women. Past that were for Jewish men and Jewish men only. And so you had these three sections. Um, and, and, and then as they do archaeology and as they dig into um, Herod's temple, which is the temple we're talking about, they, they, they found that outer wall that separated the, the Jews and the Gentiles. And there's an inscription on that wall that says this. If you cross this wall, you have no one to blame for yourself but yourself for your death. Like they would just, if you just crossed that wall to get closer to God, because God's presence was in the temple back then, you had no one to blame for your death but yourself. This is the kind of hostility we see between Jewish and Gentile. It was illegal for a Jewish person to go into the house of a Gentile. You guys, does that sound familiar at all in our history in America? Like this is the culture they lived in back then. And then Jesus comes, becomes the peace himself, he tears down the dividing wall of hostility, um, but um, in, in a figurative sense, obviously the wall stayed there for a little while longer, but in a very literal sense, he ripped the veil in half. Because in, in, in the inners of the temple, in the Holy of Holies, there was a veil that was separating God's presence from, from all the people. And when Christ died, in, a, in an actual sense, that veil was torn. Literally, in, in person, that veil was torn to show that God's presence no longer is in God's temple, but it'll be in his people. And it won't only be in his people, it'll be in all of his people. Not just Jewish people, but all of his people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. God was going to dwell in his people. They would be one in Christ. For he himself, verse 14, let's read this again. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So one new man, uh, Dr. Eric Mason calls this the new, the new manity. It's like new humanity, he just put them together, new manity. That there is this new manity. And, and we think of the word new, the, the Greek word of new here is, is not like um, the iPhone 11. It's like a new phone. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit different than the iPhone 10, but it's like new, so it's new. That's not what this Greek word, this Greek word is like, like never, unprecedented, never before seen kind of new. So think first phone ever. That's, how, that's what this kind of new thing is. Not a, I didn't just get like, you know, the dude, so I've got, uh, a truck, but if I, I've got like, I don't know, I think it's an 07 truck or something. If I got a 2019 truck, that would be new, but think first truck ever. We've never had a car with a bed you can carry stuff on, and now we've got one. That's what we're talking about here. This is brand new, unprecedented man in Christ, one body. reconciling us both, both Jew and Gentile, to God, verse 16, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to, in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and a member of the household of God. There's a lot of imagery coming up in here. We are no longer citizens 
I'm sorry, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens in, in a new kingdom with the saints and members of the household of God. We are a family, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the four cornerstone. This idea here is we are built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles, the words of God. The Bible records the prophets' words, records the apostles' words. We are built, we are a household of God built on the foundation of the word, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. John 1, 1, Jesus Christ is the word of God. 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. So we are citizens together. We are members of the household of God. We are part of a family. We are built on the foundation of the word in Christ Jesus. And we are also being joined together as God's holy temple, the place in which God would dwell. In him you are being, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This would be crazy back then, and it was crazy. Let me, let me tell you a story about an about um, apostle named Peter. Peter was kind of the head of the church. You can go read this story in Acts chapter 10. We're not going to go there because it's a long story. We don't have that time. But I'm just going to paraphrase it for you the best I can. You go read it at home, Acts 10 and 11, amazing story. So Peter's the head of the church. He goes to Joppa, a place by the sea, and he goes to the, um, he's tired. He goes to the roof to pray. And while he's praying on the roof, this vision comes. He goes, says he goes into a trance, and, 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 and um, a blanket full of food comes down. And it is all sorts of good food. It is all the kind of food Jewish people are not supposed to eat. You've got bacon. You've got BLTs, like just some sweet goodness, right? And like, so, so there's all this food that Peter's not supposed to eat. And, and what, 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 is, what is said to Peter? Take and eat. And Peter, trying so hard not to be like Peter, says, I'm not going to take and eat that. I'm not supposed to eat that stuff. I've never eaten anything like that. I'm never going to do that. And then God says, don't call unclean what I've made clean. Everything is clean now. So Peter's like, like this, like Peter's rebuked by, by God and says, like, you've called this stuff unclean. I'm telling you it's clean. I told you to take and eat it. You're not doing it. I told you nothing is unclean. And then... Like, in the middle of that, there's a knock on the door from someone of the household of Cornelius of the um, Italian cohort. And so it was like a high-level Italian official in the military. Um, they had a vision in his household. An angel came and said, go to this house in Joppa, um, and you're going to find Simon, uh, who is now called Peter. Bring him to you. He'll tell you what you're supposed to know. So this, this servant comes, and he's like, hey, uh, Peter, we had this angel came, and he said you should come with us and uh, tell us about um, whatever you're supposed to tell us about. And so Peter gets up, and he goes, kind of thinking, oh, my gosh, okay, so this, this Gentile, someone who I'm not supposed to be with, is asking me to come share the gospel with them, and I just had this vision that everything's clean now? Maybe this is God. Maybe this is kind of working together. Like, okay, God's telling me everything's clean. Now I have this unclean person coming to ask about the gospel, so I'll go. So Peter goes to the house. Peter goes into the house, which is illegal. He's not supposed to do this, okay? Like, he's not supposed to go in the house. This is something he could get in trouble for. Jailed, imprisoned, maybe even stoned. So Peter goes into the house. He begins to share the gospel. He doesn't even get finished for the Spirit of God comes down upon these people. The whole household gets saved. The first Gentile, the first non-Jew believers come to Christ because the Holy, because Peter kind of just like, should I step into this house? Okay, I'm going to do it. I saw this vision about bacon. Maybe this is what this meant. 
Um, and so he's going, like, this is real. So he's going in, he steps in, preaches the gospel, doesn't even get to the end. Holy Spirit falls, they're talking in tongues, things are going crazy. Peter's like, well, who am I to withhold baptism? Let's baptize. Everyone gets in the water. It's this amazing story. But the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem find out. And they're not having it. Peter gets called back to Jerusalem, Acts chapter 11, gets it from them, and they're like, you did what? You went, you shared the gospel with who? And, and where? You went into someone's house, like, they're, they're not having it. So Peter's like, okay, well, um, so there was this, 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 this blanket came down. I know you're not going to believe it. This blanket came down and said I could eat bacon. If you guys had bacon, you guys should try it, because I think it's okay for us to do now. So he's <laughs> passing out bacon, and that's not part of the story, but I think it could be. And uh, you should read it, again, read it for yourself, Acts 11. And so Peter, Peter's really getting, like, talking about uh, all this food unclean. Then this dude came, and he said he had a vision of the Lord. It felt like it was right based on what I just experienced, so I went with them. I went into the house. You guys wouldn't believe it. I wasn't even done sharing the good news with them before the Holy Spirit came. And they have tongues, and they're speaking, and they're, they, that stuff's happening. I'm baptizing them all. And then the people in Jerusalem, the leaders in Jerusalem, are like, oh, man, this is awesome. And that started a movement that actually allows most of us to be here now. Because we're not part of Israel. We're, most of us are not born into this, we're not born into this thing. And yet, because of, of God and his grace and Jesus on the cross dying and his blood draws us near, us who are far off, we get to be a part of this family that we have no right to be a part of. We get brought in, Gentiles from all over the world get brought in into one new family, one new nation, one new people, Jew and Gentile together for the glory of God. This is an amazing story. And it's so good for us, but I think sometimes we could miss what's happening here. Because we think, okay, cool, all that happened and it was good. We don't have to worry about stuff like that. Because, like, really you have kind of, like, let's just say it. You have some racism going on in the early church, right? They're like, this is only for us. We're, we're better than everyone else. We're, like, the gospel's for us, not for you guys. And then Peter has this vision, goes, shares it. And even then, they're like, before they hear about the vision, they're like, you did what? You, you can't go into people's house, houses? We're Jews. We're not supposed to touch them. But then they hear about God. And, and so then we think, okay, so God killed racism then, and we don't have to worry about it anymore. Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to turn there. It's not going to be up there. If you have a Bible, go to Galatians chapter 2. I want you to see this because of how important this is. So Peter, God love him, right? And he, he does this thing, this huge movement of God, where God brings the gospel to the Gentiles. To uh, chapter 2, verse 11. This is Paul writing a letter to the church in Galatia, and he talk, he's talking about a time where he has to oppose Peter. You'll see the word Cephas here, that means Peter, or it means rock, which is what they called Peter. So here, here we go, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they saw, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So here's what happened. Peter has this amazing vision, has this, excuse me, amazing experience uh, in the household of Cornelius. He goes back and tells Jerusalem. Now he's in Antioch. He's, eat, he's eating with his new friends. They're having bacon. They're eating pork. Like, they're just having a blast. They're partying. They're celebrating the goodness of God. 
but th- with Gentiles, people he shouldn't have been eating with. And then some Jews come, and Peter sees him. He's like, oh, okay, no, I'm not supposed to be with these people anymore. So he separates himself from them because he's afraid of what other people will think. So he reverts back to old Peter. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Verse 14 is going to be important for us. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas for them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So when I saw that their, their, their conduct was not in step of the truth of the gospel, Paul opposes them and calls them out and corrects them. So, so, so real quick, God comes, saves people, calls these apostles, they're Jewish, and for a little while, the gospel goes to Jews only. And the Jews think that's the way. This is the way it's going to be. We're going to save all, all, all the Jewish people on earth. That's what we're going to try and do. They forgot that the covenant to Abraham was not to, be, not, to, not to be blessed, but to be a blessing to the world. They forgot their covenant. They're supposed to be a blessing to all the nations, not just themselves. And so God intervenes, acts, gives a vision to Peter, calls him to um, Cornelius' house, saves the first Gentiles. Then this massive movement comes. Paul goes, he's, he's an apostle to the Gentiles. He goes and plants churches and preaches and uh, brings the gospel and raises up leaders, Gentile leaders within the church. And then in Antioch, Peter, who started this great movement, forgets what he learned. Being afraid of James or the or people who James brought reverts back to his own self and he leads many people astray that way. They all begin to revert back to their old selves thinking that they're better than the Gentiles. And Paul says, when I saw that their conduct was out of step with the gospel, I opposed them. We want to walk in step with the gospel. Right? Isn't that our goal? We want to walk we want to walk, and we'll read in chapter 4, we want to walk in a, in a manner that's worthy of our calling. We want to walk and step with the gospel, and we need to lovingly correct those who walk not in step with the gospel, who call themselves Christians and claim to be Christians. We need to realize and understand there is still, in our community and surrounding area, deep-seated racism in the hearts of many people. Let me just share a couple stories if you don't believe me. I moved here in 2008. I know that's 12 years ago. It may seem like a long time. That's not that long ago. Moved here in 2008. I got a job at Walmart. And at Walmart, I was new in town. I didn't know a lot of people, so I'm just trying to make friends. And there's this guy. We'll call him um, Peter. And uh, his name was not Peter, but I don't know who listens to this, and I don't know if this guy's still alive or not, so I don't know if you can hear it. But there's Peter, and uh, he's a deacon in this church. And I'm like, awesome. I'm, I'm trying to get in ministry. This guy's a deacon. I want to befriend this guy. I want to learn from this guy. I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked talking to him about the gospel. And we're put, I'm in, working in produce, so I'm putting stuff away and doing the corn and stuff. And all of a sudden, Peter comes over. He's like, Zach, we got to go. we got to go in the back right now. And so we go off to the back. He's an older gentleman, and we go off to the back. And so in the back of produce, there's these swinging doors that have windows. So we go behind the swinging doors, turn around, and they swing shut, and we see these windows. And, and from those windows, what I see is a, is a young white woman walking with, with a Latino guy, and they have a baby together. 
And this is Peter's words to me. He says, that, that, that woman there's my cousin, but we don't talk anymore because you know. I was like, hey, P- Peter, I don't know. <laughs> like, I think I know what you're saying, but that can't be right. So could you tell me what you're saying? He's like, oh, you, know, you, you know, you're not supposed to marry outside your own kind. And I was like, oh, Peter. <laughs> I had so much hope for our relationship. Um, but I was like, bro, I was like, where, 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 where on earth <laughs> do you see this? And he tried, he tried, oh, it's in the Bible. And I was like, just, just tell me where. I'd love to know where. Um, and he was like, oh, what kind of Bible do you have? And I was like, does it matter? Like, pick, <laughs> pick your trans, any translation you want. I don't even care. You pick a translation, show me in that translation. He couldn't. Um, we can dialogue afterwards why he thought that and how that's gotten construed. But that's not a thing. That's never been a thing in Scripture. Ever. The call on the believer is to marry believers. Not race or ethnic, ethnicity, but it is other believers. And it's always been that way. Old Testament, New Testament, you, got, you don't have to go far. Ruth, Rahab, people who are literally n- Gentiles, but in the family of Christ. So Peter, man, deacon in his church. Like, that's a, that's a, high, like, that, that's a high office in a church, right? It's, it's certainly an office, and in his church, it was, it was a higher office because they didn't have elders. He was the elder, the pastors of the church, thinking that, um, you cannot marry outside of your ethnic group. Just 12 years ago. How about five years ago? Five years ago, an, a, an elder in, the, in, in a church s- said to his daughter, I would rather you die than date a black man. In, 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 in this area, this community. It's like, this isn't far from us. And we need, when, like, we've got to walk in step with the gospel. We are primarily in here a majority culture and we have got to lead the way in what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, making that a reality here on earth. Someday it will be reality. Uh, Revelation chapter 7 says that uh, John has a vision. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation singing together before the throne of God. So if that's going to be our reality, let's make that our reality now. Like, this is what God is doing. It's what he's accomplished and what he's doing. And so we've got to fight for it. There, there's brothers and sisters who I love dearly who would say, this is not a gospel issue. We shouldn't talk about it. Let's preach the gospel. The gospel will do its work. Paul told us in Galatians 2, this is a gospel issue. This is something that Christians who love and believe the gospel need to talk about, need to call out, because it is absolutely a gospel issue. And if we're honest... There was pastors who told Martin Luther King Jr. that this wasn't a gospel issue. We can't get involved. You just got to wait. Be patient. Okay, a couple things I want to say before we freak out. I am not talking at all that we should have white guilt. If you're hearing that from me, you watch too much news and you're hearing something that I'm not saying because you, you hear it all the time in your world. I'm not saying that at all. However, I really believe that the media has made this term racism or racist into somehow we as Christians believe this is some sort of unforgivable sin and so we become unwilling to confess it in our lives. We, we, we think it's so, because we treat it as unforgivable in our culture, right? Someone says something 20 years ago, they can't run for office anymore. 
right? So we, we, we believe that this is unforgivable in our culture. And look at me, it's not unforgivable. Like if there's places in your heart or there's places in our community that need to be redeemed by the blood of Christ and racism that needs to be washed away, surrendered to God, and, and maybe you don't even know it's there, but God reveals it to you, man, just confess it. Don't freak out. You are sinful just like everyone else. We were all dead. You having some sort of prejudice in your heart doesn't make you more dead than the brother sitting next to you. We were all dead. Don't let media convince you this is unforgivable. You're, like, because what happens is when, we, when I talk about this to people, people freak out. Are you calling me racist? You, you know, I have, I have white, like, like, no, no, no. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, you, like, maybe we are. I don't know yet, but I just want to talk about it. Can we just dialogue? Because honestly, things in our culture are not fixed yet. My, my minorities are imprisoned at a disproportionate rate than the majorities in our culture. America, in general, imprisons 25% of all prisoners in the world. That's just not, like, look, we, we can argue about the reasons why that happens, right? But we should all, as Christians, be able to say, that's not right. That shouldn't be. The gospel should be changing culture to where culture shouldn't be imprisoned more than other cultures, Right? Like, we can agree on that. We can disagree on, on why it's happening, and some can blame the government, some can blame racism, and it's too, I don't care what, what, what you're thinking right now, why, but it's, it's not okay, right? Like, that's not normal. That's not good. So can we just say that? Here's what I think has really happened. I think um, the, um, a lot of people in this country, I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, uh, a lot of people in this country have taken this idea too far. They've introduced things like just being born in the majority culture you, you, makes you guilty. So they've taken it too far, and, and Bible-believing Christians have decided to go way too far the other way. We should not be afraid to be mistaken as anyone and go as far as the Bible goes. J people thought Jesus was a glutton and a drunkard because of who he associated with. So if we go as far as the Bible goes against racism, people might confuse us for some people that we're not. But that's okay. Let, let, let the Holy Spirit do his thing. So, so, so I, I'm, all, I'm always in conversation about this. I do not want the Grove ever to be into reactionary theology. I, and what I mean by that is I don't want us to see, okay, hey, these people over here, they, they're using the gifts, a little kind of crazy. I'm not pointing to anyone in particular real quick. Hold on. I think there actually might be a church that way. So I'm not, I'm not pointing to anyone in particular. So let me, let me just, I don't know. I don't, that church somewhere um, is using the gifts a little crazy. Let's not use the gifts at all. That, that, that's reactionary theology, right? These people, they're, they're doing some crazy stuff over here. I'm, we're going to go, we're going to swing the pendulum all the way over here. Why don't we just put the pendulum where it's, the Bible says it should be? And if people over here are like, you're, you're a social justice warrior. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> Bible's for justice. So like, I'm not afraid of that term. In fact, that term started as a Christian thing. It's been hijacked. And, and, and honestly, if I can be real quick, this is not in my notes. Maybe I shouldn't do it. Let's do it. I don't think social justice is a bad term. I think it has been hijacked and used wrongly, but I don't think that means we as Christians should stop using it. Here's what happened. So, so about a different word. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, a while ago, like 100 and something years ago, um, theology started going really crazy in America. Uh, really, really liberal, not in a politically liberal way, but in like a, we don't take the Bible literally kind of way. And... Um, and so they started this fundamentalist movement of going back to Scripture, okay, back to Scripture. And then um, 
what ha- happened was the culture hijacked that word fundamentalism. And, and really, fundamentalism means you just believe the fundamentals of the Bible. That's all it meant back then. And it means something different today. So I'm not saying we should go back to what it is today. We're, we're trying to put the fun back in fundamentalism, okay? That's our goal in life. But back then, all it meant was you just believed the basics of the faith. Like, if you go look at our basic doctrine, that's fundamentalism. But culture hijacked it, made it derogatory, and so people left that term. And I don't think we just need to let the culture decide what words we use. Let's just use the words that mean what we're saying. Let's understand how it can be misconstrued so we can dialogue about, hey, this is actually, when I say social justice, I mean God says that we should be for justice and mercy, so we're going to do that. In, in our churches, in our governments, and also in our society, so socially, we're going to pursue justice. Is abortion not a social justice issue? Is it not? Like, is it not like the murder of babies? Is that not a social justice issue? Then why are we afraid to use that term? So we got to, like, we just got to be okay with it. All I'm trying to say is that if we go, if, if, if we go where the Bible goes, people will say we've gone too far, and that's okay. This is something that's a gospel issue, and we need to discuss. God is building a church from every nation, every tribe, and every people. And so we want to fight for diversity in our churches. Here's what I mean by that. God has, diversity has always been in God's plan. Always from the beginning. We believe in a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are each different from one another, yet they are one. Is that not the picture Paul is painting here? That we are all different and yet one body? God's point from the beginning was about diversity. And so we want diversity in our churches. We want to see that in our, in our, in our culture and in the places we live in diversity. Uh, and, and so we should pursue community like the Godhead. The God, like really, we were created in God's image, the triune God. They are one, but not the same. The Father is God, the Son is God, but, not, but the Son is not the Father. The Spirit is God, but the Spirit is not the Son or the Father. It's one God and three persons. And for us to be in Christ and be diverse in Christ, yet one, does not mean we pretend like we don't have differences. This is my final point before I get really applicable here. I think sometimes we've swung a little too far away, and we've said things like, well, I'm just colorblind. I don't see color. Well, God does in Revelation 7, so maybe we should today. I'm not saying be racist. I'm saying we should see one another's differences and celebrate those differences. God's not making us all use one language. Every tongue Every tribe, right? Every tongue's being used. So, so like, like, it's okay for us to celebrate one another's differences. Celebrating our differences does not divide us. It is actually the way we unite. Because here's the subtleties that people hear. When the, when the majority culture says, I don't see differences, I think we're all the same, what we're really saying to minority cultures is you should become more like us so we could all be the same. That's the subtle thing that you're saying, is that let's all be the same, and most of us are already kind of the same, so why don't you come, on, oh, come over here? No, celebrate our differences. These are good things. Our cultures are different, and this is good. It's the same idea Paul did not make, or the gospel did not make the Gentiles celebrate the festivals of the Jewish culture, get circumcised like the Jews. Like, we don't bring them into our culture. This happens in missions, though. 
We, we, we take the gospel from America to Africa, but not just the gospel. We take suits and instruments. Like we, we try and change their worship culture to fit a Western world instead of just giving them the gospel, let that flourish however it flourishes. And so this happens, and so what I'm saying is it's okay to see difference. And where those differences are good or even amoral, we celebrate those things. Racism is not over. Let's not pretend like it is. And let's not live in such a deep guilt that we don't do anything about it. We should be, as Christians, and especially as majority culture Christians, leading the charge for what we would call, and what we see in here, reconciliation. Bringing all people together to worship our God. So, so he, here's a couple of things I think could be really practical for us as we move forward. I think the first thing we have to do is just start with ourselves. Like, just look into our own hearts. Are there, are there things in our hearts that we just need to repent of? Things in our own hearts that we need to repent and move forward, confess, and take a step towards what Christ has already won for us in the cross? God has, has won this for us in the cross, and so we can confess and seek to have harmony among all nations and ethnic groups in Christ. All right, let me ask a question that's going to get me in trouble. Here's, here's a question I want to ask just to have you ponder about things in your heart and, and, and taking a stand for what Christ has, has called us to. Do you make excuses for the way politicians talk about your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you make excuses for the word choices politicians use when they speak of other nations and other ethnic groups. Here's why I think this is important. I think we're so quick to defend people who are on our side and accuse people who are on the opposite side of things that our side's also guilty of. And so let's just call everyone out and take a stand for the gospel and people who are claiming to be Christians are out of step with the gospel. So what that means is your brothers and sisters in Christ, like, like you have more in common with the Iraqi Christian than you do the white brother next door who doesn't believe in Christ. Like, that's just a true statement. And so when people talk about, let's use the term they use, Arabs in a certain way, in a way they're talking about your brother and sister. So do we make excuses for the way people are talking about other people because we like what they're doing? I see this all the time on social media and it's so hard not to comment. Margie makes me not comment, but it's so hard not to comment. Here's the last thing. I think this is really practical. Do you take inputs from people who don't look like you? I mean, reading books, listening to podcasts, listening to sermons. What I don't mean is listening to, um, like, clips on YouTube of people who don't look like you while people are attacking those clips. I mean, like, people that you can agree with kind of stuff. So, like, do you read... Um, books from black Christian brothers and sisters. We've got some back there. If you want some recommendations, do it. Because we just need a different perspective. We are different. There are different cultures in our, in our, in our United States. We're not one culture here. We have different groups and different cultures, and we need different perspectives if we're to, to do this right. And so do you have inputs? Are you listening to sermons from brothers who don't look like you? Or is everything that you input into your life from people who look like you and have similar experiences? And I get it. The way Matt Chandler says it is, and I think it's so helpful, is we all tend to drift towards the mirror. We all tend to drift towards things that look like us because it's easier that way. It really is. 
like if we have similar um, experiences and similar things, like we just, we just kind of, and, and, and even in, this, in subcultures, like people who like the same football team, they will come to church on Sunday, they will gather around and talk about yesterday or today's game or last week's game because they have similar interests. They just gravitate towards one another um, because of similar interests, because of similar experiences. People who go to the same college, who, don't, who weren't even there in the same decade, like, can just talk about the college. They can just, oh, do you remember, like, this and all this. Like, it's just because we drift towards, those things aren't bad. But when it comes to our culture, if we drift towards the mirror without fighting to include others and to, be, and to, to get inputs from others, we will become homogenized instead of living in harmony. And, and we're fighting for harmony. Not to be one by ourselves, be one with everyone. So let's take a step out of our comfort zone. Let's read and listen to people who don't look like us with a holy, righteous curiosity of what their experiences are and what their life may be like and how it might be different than ours. Um, I don't have any bigger solutions than that. Then let's just start learning about other cultures. Let's start learning about our brothers and sisters and learning from them that we might be edified, that we might have multiple perspectives in our life and our culture. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to give us peace horizontally with him. I'm sorry, vertically with him. I'm not good at math. Um, vertically with him and horizontally with one another. And so when Christ has come, he came to reconcile the world to himself and to reconcile the nations to one another. And that's what we're talking about here. There's no more segregated place in America than the church today. It's just true. I'm not even saying it's always a bad thing, but it should, I don't, maybe it is. I don't know. I don't have an answer, but this is the most segregated place in America. We have, we have Latino churches and we have majority culture churches. That's just kind of what we have in Mitchell, Yancey, and Avery counties. I wonder what it may look like if we worship God together. How we could fight for that. How we, and, and so I think the first, the last thing I'll say is, the, is really, in, in, in addition to all that, let's start with prayer. Let's pray that God would bring diversity um, with unity. That we would be a united people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, singing glory, glory, glory to God in the heavens. And so let's, let, let, let's start with prayer. We're going to take a moment, um, and I'll pray, and then we'll respond to the gospel that God has come to reconcile those who are far off with him and to one another. That God is not a respecter of persons, but he is calling all of his children to himself and to each other. So, so, so this is how we're going to respond. We're going to have communion like we do every week. But when we drink the cup, what we're remembering is the blood that brought us near. Remember that God's son, his blood was spilt so that we could be included in the family of God, so that we could build a foundation on the word of God and be a temple for the dwelling place of God, that his body was torn apart so that we could come into his presence and be healed and be restored. So we take communion to remember that and to celebrate that. Let's not linger on, um, on, 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 on this being down for t or us being down for too long. Let's celebrate what Christ has done. He's accomplished this, now let's walk in it. And so we'll have communion, we will sing and celebrate God's love for us, um, and we will uh, have a time where you can give, you can come up for communion or giving, come up here.
go over here. You can take communion. You can give if you're a member of the Grove, and then you can go back down and back to your seats and worship and sing. Um, and so we're, I will pray for us, and then, and then we'll respond together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that through Christ's blood, you have brought us near. You have brought us near to you, but also to one another. God, I pray that we would not um, react to this and try and run away from what we've seen be used for bad. We would run to where the gospel says, calls us to run to. We would walk and step with the gospel. And if there's areas of our life that need um, redemption, Lord, would you just do that? If there's areas of our life that need restoration, Lord, would you just do that? God, I pray that at the Grove and all churches, that amidst unity, you would bring good and holy diversity in a way that honors you and glorifies you and shows this world a picture of the kingdom to come. I love you and praise you. I trust that you'll do this work if we keep calling out to you. I pray this in your son, in Jesus' name. Amen.